Hello, and welcome to Community Calls, our ongoing effort to keep the community updated with COVID-19 and other health-related issues during the pandemic. I am Dr. Panagis Galiatsatos, an assistant professor at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and a physician in pulmonary and critical care. Thank you for joining us. Excellent. All right, listeners, let's rock and roll. Again, you're getting a full dose of Dr. G this hour, closing with uh, one of our congr- uh, um, our chaplains with a closing spiritual um, discussion, of course. So let's go ahead and keep ourselves grounded to where we're at. Right? Where are we with this pandemic? Then we'll go over the vaccination rate here in the state of Maryland. And then finally go over some pediatric data and the CDC guidelines with the masks in regards to how we are responding. And then I will be taking your well, your community uh, questions. You guys are coming in. This is great. Oh, bless your hearts who are uh, listening to me and um, uh, Dr. G running solo today. All right. So where are we globally? We have 166,064,382 cases of COVID-19. In regards to deaths, we have 3,448,372, giving us a mortality rate of 2.1% globally. Here in the U.S., we have 33,833,794, with deaths at 602,632, giving us a mortality rate here in the U.S. of 1.8%. In the state of Maryland, we have 457,527 cases with deaths at 8,782, giving us a mortality rate here in the state of Maryland of 1.9%. may not seem like much, but I want to uh, make a point. You know, here in the U.S. and the state of Maryland, our numbers, uh, our mortality rate did drop below 2%, and it stayed like that for a few weeks. The global one, what's keeping us probably also from falling, is the recognition that there are certain countries that are still being disproportionately impacted, I was looking at the numbers and it's the, the death toll that we are seeing in India probably continue to keep these numbers high uh, with regards to the mortality rate. So uh, to our listeners, you know, continue saying our prayers. And if, there, if you need insight into some fantastic um, resources uh, where potentially you can consider contributing funds and so forth, we'll put it on our emails as we send out. Now, good news, though. Let's talk about the vaccine. Right, so here in the state of Maryland, oh, I, I get thrilled when I bring up these numbers. Right, over the course since we've been saying them, we started off at, you know, uh, uh, close to one out of five were fully vaccinated in the state of Maryland. Two weeks ago, no, I'm sorry, three weeks ago, we were at one out of three. We're at 44 percent right now. I promise you this: by next week, we will probably be one out of two Marylanders will be fully vaccinated. That's amazing. And I can say that with confidence, given how the rise of the fully vaccinated continues to tick up. This is exciting. I, I see this. You know, 50% vaccination in the state is powerful. Keep this in mind, though. Many of our listeners, and you know who you are, you don't reside in Maryland. You reside in other states. So continue promoting the messaging around the vaccine, around its benefits to others. The more we get the people vaccinated, I was just telling this to a community the other day, the more that people are vaccinated, the more that we will end this pandemic. But two things will happen, right? Either the virus will go away or we will just turn this virus into a, just a simple 
common cold, which is a victory in of itself. Yes, it may still leave us miserable for a day or two, but won't be life-threatening, won't be lethal. That's the victory. That's the victory. So we're getting there, ladies and gentlemen. Now, one of the comments that keeps getting asked uh, pretty frequently from you amazing listeners is the toll of this on children. How have our children been doing? Last week, we had the intention to invite a pediatric critical care doctor, so we wanted to deviate away from everything and just focus on the new CDC guidelines, et cetera. So where are our children at this moment? How has this impacted them from these numbers of hospitalizations and mortality? So let's dive into this. This data is uh, as complete as of May 13th, right? So last week's data that came out. So to date, here in the United States, since the pandemic has made its way onto our shores, close to 4 million children in the United States have tested positive for COVID-19. Nearly 49,000 new cases were reported in children last week. That number may seem high, but this has been the lowest of weekly cases for children, right? So those 0 to 18, uh, I'm sorry, 0 to 17, it's the lowest amount in pediatrics since mid-October, mid to late October. This is good. This is very, very good. The other caution that I would want to say with these good numbers is we've always discussed that this, the virus hasn't greatly impacted children in regards to life-threatening, et cetera. There was one pediatric infectious disease doctor said, we have to take that a little bit with a grain of salt because if we keep allowing this virus to continue to spread, without ending it, without it's coming across people that have been vaccinated, going into people who have been unvaccinated allows the virus to mutate and potentially cause a mutation that is more devastating for children. So please recognize when you get vaccinated, it is not just to protect yourself, it is ultimately to protect others. The vaccine is the internal face mask, essentially, right? Because we wear the face mask to protect others, the vaccine will do the same. Now let's talk about hospitalizations in regards to children. Children have been hospitalized or have accounted for close to 3% of all the reported hospitalizations around COVID-19. However, the one comment I wanna say is well, what has that resulted in regards to the saddest thing, right, that could possibly come out of this, is the mortality of children. The good news there is that for the most part, mortality in children has remained low. Some states still 0%, other states 0.03%. This is fantastic just to exemplify that you know, this virus, we recognize it's a disproportionate impact, especially in our older population. We recognize that. Our hearts go out to all of uh, the individuals suffering from this. At the same time, at least we recognize the virus has, for the most part, spared children. This doesn't take into account, by the way, the multi-organ systemic inflammation that we've discussed before in the past. It just takes into account active COVID-19 cases. So with that said, this uh, and by the way, since we did discuss mortality, keep in mind still being hospitalized is a traumatizing effect on a child. So this virus has impacted our youth, not at the highest numbers that we've seen in regards to how it impacted adults. But the caution I want to say here is we keep talking about mutations and variants, et cetera. 
these may at some point become more lethal for children. If we want to prevent that, if we want to keep our children safe, have them be around adults who are vaccinated or at least are taking the proper public health precautions to not catch the virus. So now, with that said, we're going to launch into the CDC updates with regards to the face mask. But we do that, before we do that, let me go ahead and start taking some of the community questions that have come in. So here's one. So, ah, pleasant. Good morning. Is the Pfizer vaccine used in Canada different from the one used in the U.S.? I understand that, that in Canada, the second dose of Pfizer is given three months after the first dose. Is that correct? And what is the reason? So the Pfizer vaccine globally is the same one. It's not different. Same dose, same medication, and so forth. In regards to the data around the research, the Pfizer vaccine was a three-week minimum period between the first and the second dose. Moderna, its counterpart, four weeks. Why those, that separation? A lot of it was to mitigate a lot of the side effects patients would feel. That is important. So why can you potentially get it much later? When I mean, we had Dr. Zentelman on the show to discuss this as well before. So the challenge sometimes that we've been having is having access to the vaccine and distributing and so forth. So we have recognized that some patients have missed that three-week mark and maybe got on the fourth week or fifth week or sixth week. All I can say is that's still fine. We're still collecting data to make sure that that is reasonable to mount the immune response that we need. Now, we'll say, I can't comment specifically on up to that three-month mark, but we've had patients who have gotten it much more delayed for various reasons. If you still get it well within two to three months of your first dose, you should still be fine to mount that immune response. So I'm not sure what our northern friends are doing, scheduling up to three months. My suspicion is they're scheduling it at some point in time after a three-week mark or later, depending on people's accommodations and ability to do so. And I say this because life does happen. I, I myself had a patient who had a delay in getting their vaccine due to an appendicitis episode. Right? So with that delay, they got it two months afterwards and are doing just fine, I promise you. Now, let's go over the CDC mandate around the face masks. So in regards to the face masks, a lot of confusion has come up, and let me tell you why why I suspect it's confusion. A lot of it has to do with the fact that, yes, great, people with vaccines can go down with the face masks. We can, we can behave in a manner that is similar to pre-pandemic times. The challenge with the CDC guidelines that came out is, well, how do you take this information and implement it? How do you know who has the vaccine and who doesn't? And that was very palpable last week and this week where Kimberly and I held many COVID-19 congregational conversations. And listeners, if you want us to engage personally with your congregation, email us. Email us. Our turnaround time is usually within uh, 10 to 14 days to book an appointment with you all. We are here for you. So let me take a second and give you a little bit of insight of what we have been saying to the congregation, to the congregations that we've discussed. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's, we're going to provide you a little bit of guidance 
in regards to how to best handle these COVID-19 face mask requests. So if you are at a congregation or a housing unit, somewhere that is a public entity where you expect people to be coming in and out, this is what we would still recommend for the time being. While we recognize people who have been vaccinated can go without a face mask, still not the complete picture. What people have to still recognize is who you're going to be interacting with. Can people who have been vaccinated spread the virus? The answer is yes, but not in an efficient way as someone who is unvaccinated. Usually someone who has been vaccinated can spread the, uh, the virus if they're symptomatic. And that goes back to what is the vaccine purpose? Dr. G, well, the vaccine's purpose is to prevent you from getting severe disease, right? A life-threatening version of it. So if you get a mild case of it, you're kind of like a common cold, you probably will be able to still spread the virus at that point. So I say this because if you're going to go and hang out in a kind of a vaccine bubble, yeah, I agree with the CDC there. Face mask down, everyone enjoy themselves. If we're going to be in areas where you're not certain if people are all vaccinated, I would 100% still wear those face masks. Strong concern that you may pick it up, develop a mild case, and potentially relay it back to people who have not been vaccinated, say your children. So first things first that I would recommend to anyone overseeing a public place is I would still require face masks. Yes, it's great that we can be able to get to a public setting without them. I agree. Our recommendation still for the time being, is, if from, coming from us here at Hopkins, is the fact that it might not be the most efficient way to know who's been vaccinated and who has not. It's a lot of trust. I get it. But we've had a former president once say, trust but verify. What I would strongly recommend is continue having a face mask policy in the public setting. Second, the other part that I would request from an infectious control standpoint is that have a no symptom policy. What do I mean by that? Especially if you're a congregation, you have your gatherings with adults, continue talking to these adults and so forth and say, if you have a new cough, sneeze, if you have a new fever, stay at home. Right? Even if you've been vaccinated, as I said, the vaccine doesn't guarantee you from getting a mild case of COVID. It guarantees you from getting a severe case of COVID. And if you're symptomatic, you're going to be shedding that virus a lot more. So by all means, by all means, do what you can to stay home if you are symptomatic and continue requesting that to your congregants as well. So based on policy, we would endorse, we would recommend for the time being, and in regards to uh, if you have symptoms, I would say stay home. Now, we just got uh, another community question that's come in, and it asks, Dr. G, what about the six feet? Do we still have to stay six feet from people? Practicality. So this, again, is going to be tough. So I say this because when the city and the state would limit occupants in a specific space, yeah, I felt like that would be need to kind of request, right? So you were working with a congregation and say, hey, we're at 50% capacity as allowed by the state, understood, fair enough, 
I think it's easy to stay six feet apart. But the city and the state at the moment are going back to full capacity. And so as a public health official, I would still love to stay face masks and six feet apart. But this is another reason why I would really emphasize the face masks practically I think it's not going to be possible to continue those six feet separation. You know, if you're at full capacity, our buildings were not built to keep people at full capacity and still six feet apart. So your last safety resort will be that face mask, capturing any droplets and so forth that might be coming out of people. So that's what I would request. Great question from the community. Another community question. What about singing? So Ed, there's a lot more to that question, but that, that's the brunt of it. Uh, I, I agree, singing in congregations is a beautiful thing, um, enjoyable, and oftentimes lifts your spirit uh, in addition to the scriptures. Yes. So from a singing standpoint, and I'm not a singer, so if you felt this was going to be a good transition for Dr. G to do some singing, it's not going to do, be, do so. So here's my request upon singing. In regards to singing, everyone I imagine has a different talent with it. Those of you who can belt out a tune like Whitney Houston, keep in mind there probably isn't a face mask that is going to stop all the air coming out. So this is my request. Can congregants sing at churches? I would say wear face masks, and I think that can be done safely. We spoke with a, a congregation two days ago where that question came up. And that's what the uh, uh, reverend was requesting, asking, my congregants are all wearing face masks, would that be fine? In my opinion, I do believe so, right? And, you know, singing in the church, wearing that, I think it's perfectly fine. For the choir, uh, for the choir, I imagine it's going to be a little bit more difficult. So what I would say for the choir, if they want to have the face mask down, I still would advocate to be placed somewhere that you are sufficient distance from the rest of the congregants, right? 10 feet or more. If you can add plexiglass, even better. But to those who are choir singers, again, it is a personal decision to wear, to get the vaccine. But I would encourage, you know, learn whatever science you need to take on to be considered to be, uh, to persuade yourself to say out to it. If you have medical reasons that you cannot, I understand. Just continue following the proper public health requests there you go, you don't uh, impact yourself in regards to catching the virus. Which brings me to my third key point from an infectious control. And I promise you, uh, community listeners, I'm going to get to the rest of the questions. And so hang tight. The best way for a congregation or a public housing unit to not, to not spread COVID-19 indoors is to not bring COVID-19 indoors. So to the listeners, listening, as you know, Dr. D has said this before. So listening to me, you know, recognizing that COVID-19, it, its main way of spreading, what we have come to realize over the last year, its main way of spreading is close proximity to people, one breathing it out and the other person breathing it in. From a surface, ugh, it's, it's not easy to pick up, you know, if you sneeze on a surface, et cetera. Bathrooms, remember we talked about like flushing the toilets and the droplets, you have yet to see a spread like that. Eating it, 
still not a spread, right? So the biggest, the main way it looks to be spreading is by breathing it in, being in close proximity with others. That's why we discussed the purpose of the face mask, knowing that the six-foot radius is unlikely to be able to be implemented, knowing that we can go back to full capacity. So this is where I would strongly request of you listeners, you're amazing human beings, you frontline individuals, take this information, continue sharing it with your community. Your jobs are, done, are made much easier if you promote the science along with us, allowing your community members to understand how to take the proper precautions to not catch the virus, and there go, not bringing it in. At the same time, continue promoting the vaccine insight and science. That way, if your congregants feel like, yep, it's going to be appropriate for me, let them go ahead and get it done. So those are the three infectious control policies that we've been recommending. Still wearing face masks. If you're symptomatic, stay at home. And if you can and you're in a position to continue promoting proper messaging to your community to say, please do your best to not catch COVID-19. All right, let's go to the next community question that has come up. If a congregation has a daycare and children, what should we be doing around them? So that's great. So this, this one's a, a, a good example of recognizing there's still a population amongst us that have not been vaccinated. Our kids started this call off describing the pediatric consequences and impact of COVID-19. And rightly so, the children are doing okay from a big picture standpoint. That's great. But keep in mind, they're still not vaccinated. Keep in mind, they may interact with others who also are not vaccinated, right? The key examples I've always shared is how a child could catch the virus, a little bit of a runny nose, spread it to an individual who has not been able to, to get the vaccine or cannot be vaccinated for a medical reason. So around children especially, and it goes back to the recognition that there's populations that still not have been vaccinated, this is where we still say, please continue wearing face masks around children and so forth, um, or in those public settings. I think it's our last resort keeping ourselves from spreading this virus. And I say this to, to, to the listeners, like, I promise you the end is in sight. I mean, the fact that the CDC has said those who have been vaccinated, face masks can come down. That's great. What we're trying to do is provide a bit of ease of how to do that in a public setting, knowing that almost one out of two people are still not vaccinated. And you yourself may be engaging and interacting with others who have not been vaccinated. And I know you don't want to catch it and spread it to someone else. And that's, that's what's key here. And by the way, this is Dr. G. Kimberly is not here today. I'm filling in on both Dr. G and Kimberly. And I see this lovingly because the community questions coming in Thank you, Juan. You guys are you're helping me out, uh, keeping this dialogue going. So the next question in the community, Dr. G, what about indoor dining? Do you agree to it, or would you consider still eating out or taking out? So indoor dining. So this is a tough one, you know, because I imagine many of us want to continue going back, transitioning slowly and cautiously to pre-pandemic times. 
right? And one of those pre-pandemic times is the restaurant, right? Going in, dining in with your friends and family, having fun. I get it. To date, the, the public place that has been consistently a super spreading event have been indoor dining areas. And I think conceptually to the listeners, I think that you can understand, understand that, right? Face masks are down. People are breathing each other's air. You're in close proximity. So, yeah. And even if you're going there with someone who you trust, you like, I know you haven't caught it, you might be still surrounded by people who have not been back. Uh, you know, they haven't been following those requests, and they're sitting in the restaurant breathing it out, and you're breathing it in. So from an indoor dining perspective, I think knowing that the end is still in sight, we're going to have, we can have a revved up vaccine campaign now, and it's summertime. So I would, from my standpoint, my, my public health opinion on this is still do your best to um, have those public gatherings outdoors, right? We're fortunate to have the summer months where I imagine that's going to be a little bit more comfortable. And I recognize weather sometimes may be hard to kind of um, be in accordance with our request to eat outdoors, but that's what I would still recommend. As we see more people get vaccinated this summer, I probably will at some point, I promise you, feel comfortable to do indoor dining. And I promise my listeners, when that happens on my end, I will announce it. Right? Not that you have to follow Dr. G's requests or recommendations, but from my standpoint, I'd like to see, especially in the state of Maryland, three things to make me more comfortable with indoor dining. One, close to six out of 10 people being vaccinated, right? So 60%. I'm going to achieve that. I mean, you're, I'm going to be a lot more comforted. Two, I want to see the case numbers come down in the state of Maryland. And three, I want to continue seeing the hospitalizations come down. Right? Because two and three imply both quantity and quality. Because the, the biggest fear we have as infectious control and public health officials is that if there is a new mutant variant, that is very potent, even if the case numbers come down, if hospitalizations go up, then that concerns us a lot. So those are the three things I need to see aligned. But as I just told you about the Maryland vaccine rates, we're getting there, right? We're at 44%. We are getting there. I imagine at that rate, probably in the next three or four weeks, we will be at 60%. Yeah. And is there anything magical with that number? For a lot of us, we always said that might be the number to really see transmission rates fall considerably. That's why we're kind of holding our breath to that standpoint. So hopefully uh, that gives you all a, uh, a good time uh, to look forward to, right? Indoor dining, you're, I think we're going to get there. All right. Oh, my gosh, you, you amazing community folks. By the way, this is the intention of today's call is to tackle the questions you all probably had just as every other human being did, saying, great, CDC, thank you for letting us know people who have been vaccinated can put the face mask down. But how do you, how do you implement that? How do you go about in public doing just that? And as I've already recapped, I would still recommend for public places to continue wearing the face mask, right, just recognizing you or likely interact with people who haven't been vaccinated. You yourself may still catch it and develop a mild case of it. Again, that's not life-threatening, right? And no, no one has ever, you know, no one wants the common cold or common cold symptoms. I get it. But my fear there is, could you pass it on to, say, a child or some, you know, uh, someone who uh, one of our callers 
on um, their emails said a few weeks back, like they're living with an individual who is going through chemotherapy right now. So they're still going to stay extra vigilant to not catch COVID-19. So yes, I still recommend the um, face masks in indoor public places. So that's what we're recapping. And uh, here's another great question. Dr. G, do you recommend knowing that there might be people who likely want to put their face mask down, but we're not sure if they're being vaccinated or not, do you recommend we invest in a HVAC system that's equivalent to NASA? Oh, sorry, I'm reading the questions. These are great. I love this. So I've had these conversations uh, with many congregations. There was one uh, congregation uh, in, uh, in Baltimore County who asked about you know, uh, you know, they they were doing, and you said NASA. Thank you. I'm not sure if you're from the congregation or not, but they were doing NASA level math. How many liters of air come out in an adult person? That square footage, whatever that amount of time, the type of HVAC system will we need in order to pull that air out and so forth. So, I I want to I want before anyone breaks their bank. This is what I would say. Let's go back to what I said in the beginning. If you continue endorsing a face mask policy, that's great. That's great that our vaccine numbers are going high. Then from my standpoint, if you do that, in addition to saying if you have new symptoms, right, if you have a new cough, a new cold, please stay home. And you continue talking to your community before they come into worship services. Say, hey, we have, you know, Friday night Shabbat, please come in, you know, hear the good word, but do your best to not bring in COVID. If you have prayer service, right, in your local mosque, continue promoting. We want you to come in, receive the word of God, but please do not bring in COVID. Sunday worship service, same thing, right? So if you all, as frontline, right, I've always called you the frontline, continue promoting those messages, then face mask. People with symptoms stay home promoting to not catch COVID and bring it into the congregation, I think that those simple measures will keep you from being a, a super spreading event and keeping your congregants safe. And I can say that confidently because that's what we've been doing with a lot of the congregations. And I say this not to, this isn't a boast, but the congregations, especially that we've had those intimate COVID calls, have never been identified as a super spreading event. And that's not Dr. Gene Kimberly's work. That's your work. You guys took the science, you recognized how to implement it to your community, you got the job done. So kudos to you all. So no, community listener, I do not think you need to invest in a NASA-level HVAC system. But I do love that you're thinking in that, that, uh, that degree. So oh, another great question. What about the treatment for COVID? Is there success with a monoclonal treatment? So great question. So to our listeners, COVID management has taken on three measurements, right? Prevention, which is those hygienic interventions and the vaccine. Two, curative, right? So if you get COVID, can we cure it? This would be analogous to having, say, an antibiotic, right? If you, so I would want to really have vaccines a lot for many bacteria because we have a good antibiotic. So if you get bacterial infection, we can, we can, we can destroy that with a good a good antibiotic. And the third strategy that we've been looking at is for the post-COVID-19 survivors, right? How to get them back to normal. 
That's where a lot of the research is focusing on. The second one, though, many people have asked this, so kudos to the community listener for asking this question as well. How are we doing with curative? Right? As we said, even with our best measures, some people may still get sick right, until we rev up the vaccine status and so forth. So right now, in regards to COVID-19, I can tell you we have come to learn this disease really well, and you don't get to that low rate of survivorship. Uh, I'm sorry, low rate of mortality. Right? We've gotten under 2%. Remember, at one point in time, we were at 6% mortality. So the best way, if you come in with COVID-19, I can tell you your doctors and nurses, myself included, we have come to learn this disease very well, meaning we know how to manage it. We know how to help someone through it. It might be some rough, rough bumps, et cetera, during that time, but we know how to help you through it, and you will survive. And the majority of people, I can look them in the eye and say, you'll get through this. However, there was a point in time where we couldn't make that promise, and it wasn't because we didn't know the disease that well. It was just that our hospitals were overwhelmed, right? So if your hospitals are full to capacity, people are, you know, hallways being converted into intensive care units, then you're going to raise the chances that COVID-19 may not be managed that well because you don't have the human capital to be able to care for those individuals. That's what we're seeing, for instance, in India. That's what we saw in Iran and Korea before, right? We're all human, and most, most literature agrees for a, a critically ill patient. One doctor can probably manage, you know, four to six of them by his or herself. If he or she has to manage 20-plus, that's a lot of spreading herself thin. So to the community caller who emailed that question, I can tell you through our supportive measurements, we have done really well to implement them accordingly, precisely, and efficiently where people will survive. Are we still looking for a cure, though, analogous to that uh, antibiotic for bacteria? We are. I do want to point out that coming up with a cure for a virus is very hard, very hard. To date, the, the more, most promising one was remdesivir or the monoclonal antibody. Now, these two probably do just fine. The challenge with them is timing. What do I mean by that? What does Dr. G mean by timing? A bacterial infection, bacteria, keep in mind, don't really need us. They like our resources, like the environment we give them, but bacteria just make more of themselves with themselves. So they may invade our tissues, but it's more for, to destroy it, nothing more, nothing less. So at any point in time you come in with a bacterial infection, the antibiotic's going to be efficient. If the bacterial infection is really devastating, it might just take some time for you to feel that effect. Viruses are different because they invade our cells, not to destroy, but to hijack us. And so the challenge of what we've always had with viruses has been timing. If you catch the virus and you have developed maybe the mildest symptom, yeah, the monoclonal antibody or remdesivir at that time, probably going to be great, probably going to be amazing. The challenge is those mild symptoms most people don't overreact to, right? They don't say, oh, my gosh, I have a runny nose. Let me go and get tested for COVID. No, and I see this. Not to put anyone down, I, I would easily do the same thing. So the challenge that we have is most people are being tested for COVID days later as they're a little sicker to see if that's what it is. 
And at that point, especially if you're a little sicker, the efficacy of the monoclonal antibody, probably not that good anymore. Now, we saw that with President uh, Donald Trump. Right? He got the monoclonal antibody, but he still needed to be admitted to the hospital, and he ended up getting steroids and remdesivir. Right? And I can promise you the steroids will undo anything that the antibody could offer to do. So it's all about timing. That's what makes the cures for a virus really hard. And for those of us who even battled the last public health crisis from an infection, right, here in the United States with HIV, took us, what, close to two decades to come up with an antiretroviral agent, right, agent to battle HIV. It's all about timing. It's really hard. So I can tell you this. We've become really good at caring for patients with COVID, and the supportive measurement seems to be enough to help our patients survive long as the volume stays low we're good. Right, that's kind of going back a year ago to that flattening the curve conversation. Monoclonal antibodies, the remdesivir, the cures for this, they probably work. The challenge is it's hard, right, to line the stars to get people to go get those interventions when the time, when that window allows for it. It's a small window, very small window. So from that standpoint, hopefully that answered a variety of many of those questions. Sorry that I rambled, but that's a great question. I really, really appreciate that uh, in regards to where we're at. All right, last question. And then, by the way, Reverend Teague or Reverend Johnson, which one is on? You guys can unmute now and just say a quick hello. I promise I'll be giving it over to you in a second. Are either of you on at the moment? Or chaplains? Good morning, Dr. G. This is Reverend Johnson. Ah, uh, Reverend Johnson, good man. I, I, you're probably like, I'm going to just wait for Kimberly. All right, I'm going to answer one more community question, my, my good friend, and I'm going to turn it over to you. Reverend Johnson, by the way, I'm going to put you in the spot. You don't have to say anything right now. But when I turn it over to you, can you also, in your, in your, in your best ability, promote Tuesday's event? I'm going to make one more comment, but I, want to, I think having you mention it as well is going to be powerful. You know, as a physician, I, I know what I want to tell the community, but you have the perspective of what the community is going to gain from it. So hold, hold on Absolutely. to your thoughts as you collect them. Thank you, good sir. So let me go ahead and finish with the last question. So what a summer question. Dr. G, are there any activities that you would recommend against in regards to the summer activities? So... I, I, it's a great question from the community. I, I, what I appreciate about the summer coming is I, I think we're going to be allowed to do a lot more outdoor events, which is great. The cautions that I will still have, as I said earlier, it's probably still for the indoor dining or like just in, like indoor events that mandate a face mask coming down. So this community uh, caller, bless her heart, they're like, we want to go back to the movies. I think the movies can be done safely, you know, as long as the face masks stay up. But the, the keep in mind, just, right, people are going to be eating their snacks and so forth. So that, that's just a concern that I have. Probably, in, I'm not sure how movie theaters are going to be tackling. Do they want to keep people apart or are they going to uh, just say as many people come in? So indoor public gatherings that warrant a face mask to come down, such as eating, I probably would still shy away from for the time being until we see those three things, right? Vaccines hit close to 60%, numbers come down, hospitalizations come down. If we see that trifecta, you're going to see a very carefree Dr. G. So that's what I would caution against. 
from an outdoor standpoint, the only thing that I would say is just recognize like really large gatherings. The reason why those concern me is because people just become a lot more intimate, right? If it's a small gathering outdoor, you can kind of maintain your personal space pretty okay. Face masks can come down. The really crowded areas, that, that might be harder to govern. So those are the two things that I'm going to avoid during the summertime for the time being. But I promise you, I will be the first to make the announcement that I've just done some indoor dining. All right, you all have heard me talk for the last 45, 44 minutes. I want to say a massive thank you. I know Kimberly is pleased to know that Dr. G can pick up. She's covered for before for me. We, we, we're a team. We are a team here. But that team is also you all, you listeners. So thank you. The one thing I want to remember, remind you all, there's no call next Friday. It is a Friday before holiday weekend, so we want to make sure you guys get that hour back. However, we, we also recognize it because we're going to have a big event Tuesday with Mayor Scott. I'm going to let Reverend Johnson speak to it in a second. But please join. We will make sure you get the link um, either later today or Monday. Join us. You're going to get Dr. G, Dr. Golden, Dr. Marigakis. You're going to get a lot of bright, intelligent people discussing how to best work with regards to the CDC recommendations and phasing in and so forth. It will be great. And you get to ask questions in real time. So Reverend Johnson. So, And for those who would yes. like to say one, please do. But my friend... What a great way to uh, to end a Friday morning with you, good sir. You, you, I'm smiling from ear to ear. Hopefully you can pick up that vibe. But I'm turning it over to you. Please talk about Tuesday night and then off to your um, spiritual uh, uh, discussions for today. Thank you so much, Dr. G. And I'm smiling from ear to ear just listening to you. And you handled uh, this adeptly. And uh, so we have to let Kimberly know uh, that you didn't fumble at all. Uh, she'll be proud of you. So, Thank you, good um, sir. <laughs> we, we are excited about Tuesday. Um, as Dr. G has shared, we have a partnership, a medical religious partnership, you could call it, between uh, the city of Baltimore and Johns Hopkins Medicine, uh, whereby we'll be working with um, faith-based uh, institutions with congregations on reopening, on how to safely uh, go back into uh, our full worship services. And Dr. G is one of our featured speakers, of course, along with other um, doctors from Johns Hopkins Medicine, uh, Dr. Sharita Golden and Dr. Marquez and some others, uh, as Dr. G uh, has indicated. Uh, that will be at begin at 6 o'clock on Tuesday. And again, we will get you more information. We're just waiting to get the link uh, from the city of Baltimore, and we will be able to send that out to everyone. Uh, but, uh, you know, place a hold on your calendar uh, for 6 o'clock p.m. Tuesday evening. Uh, and uh, it's going to be a great discussion. Uh, we hope to have someone who is a COVID survivor give a testimony um, and to kind of talk about some of the detrimental effects of COVID-19, uh, for there to be a presentation on called From the Parking Lot to Benediction, which will be a general presentation highlighting key areas um, of any house of worship reentry. And uh, then there will be a general panel session uh, and uh, where you will be able to uh, ask and have answered uh, your questions. Uh, and so, again, we're looking forward to it. Uh, we think it's going to be a great opportunity for all of our uh, congregations in the Baltimore area. Uh, and so we are thankful to Mayor Scott uh, and his team uh, with the city of Baltimore, including the Baltimore City Health Department, uh, for um, working along with Johns Hopkins and putting this together. And so we hope to see you then.
And so with that, um, if you're ready, Dr. G, if you don't have anything else, I'll go ahead and do our closing prayer. Uh, it is all you, my friend. It is all you. Okay. okay. Um, and so today is our last gathering before we observe the Memorial Day holiday weekend that I'm sure everyone is looking forward to, and we hope that everyone will uh, remain safe even during the Memorial Holiday weekend uh, by implementing um, the things that Dr. G has already suggested and recommended to us. But therefore, as we end our community gathering and information sharing today, I really want to thank those of you on our call and all of the persons in our community who have served or are serving our nation through the military. And I give thanks for those women and men uh, who gave their lives in sacrificial service to our nation that everyone in our beautifully diverse nation might live in a land of freedom, peace, opportunity, and justice for all. In their honor, we encourage you to please again remain ever cautious, vigilant, and safe for everyone's sake as you go about your daily activities. And we share this prayer from the United States Department of the Air Force Chaplain Services Prayer Book. And so in honor of them on this Memorial Day, let us pray. Father, we see our world with many faces, faces of peace and faces of war, faces of plenty and faces of want, faces of joy and faces of sadness, in times past, when faces of courage and sacrifice were needed, we were blessed with men and women who offered their lives and did not doubt that it was right. Today, we remember them. Help us, Lord, to show our gratitude by sharing the face of freedom with others. We can do no less for those who have done so much for us. In your name we pray. Amen. And so with that, we end our call, uh, and we hope that each of you will have a very safe and blessed weekend. And we look forward to you on our next call. Remember, we will not meet next week, Memorial Day weekend, uh, but the following week we will. Be blessed, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Take care. This podcast is made possible by the Johns Hopkins Bayview Healthy Community Partnership, its Department of Spiritual Care and Chaplaincy, Johns Hopkins School of Medicine's Medicine for the Greater Good, and the Johns Hopkins Institute for Clinical and Translational Research.